Um, when I'm older, I am going to do things my way. When I'm older, I am going to do things the way I want to do them. I think that was a, a regular, maybe constant refrain of my childhood and teen years to my parents. And, uh, and I think one of the things that, that all of us, and I was, you guys thought I was going to take a sip of water, but, but now I'm preaching. Um, I think one of the things that we can all agree upon, whether, whether young or old, is that we are really bothered when somebody takes our decision-making away from us. As in, no, honey, you need to wait because that's not what the family is doing today. And we rage against that. And we think, oh, I'll get into adulthood. I'm not going to have to deal with that anymore until we go to the airport, right? We've bought our tickets. We've planned our vacation. We've taken vacation days. We get to our gate ready to get on the plane and then that unsympathetic, monotone voice comes across the loudspeaker. Attention, all passengers on flight 201. Your flight has been delayed. Please head to these tiny monitors whereupon you can see your fate sometime. For now, this gate will be given to another flight. You are now gateless and homeless and stuck. Please visit the bookstore where there is a sale on contemporary paperbacks. <laughs> we, we do not control the future. The Lord alone controls the future. And that is the reality that Abraham faces in this passage. Isaac is not simply his son, his only son. He is that. But Isaac is also the embodiment of God's promises to Abraham. Isaac is quite literally the reason that Abraham has left his homeland, has left his family, because the promise given to him is that a great nation would come from him. And right now, that nation is Isaac. So whereas before, Abraham is called to sacrifice his past, his family, his comfort, and to follow the Lord, here, at the end of his life, he is called to sacrifice his future, his family to come, his hopes, his dreams. And it's easy to be frustrated with God in this story. Why would he put this poor man through a test like this? Is this test just to prove that who's really holding the keys, who's driving the car, to keep Abraham from getting too comfortable in God's promises? And reading this story, God can feel less like a giver and more like a taker. As somebody who gives promises but can just as easily take them back because they're rightfully his. And some of us have this view of the Lord. We think, I ought not to love anything too much. My house, my job, my kids, my spouse, my loved ones, my health. How not to grow attached because God could take those things that I love at any moment. And certainly the Lord gives and takes away. The name of the Lord be praised. Certainly that's true. But I think this is the crucial question in this story. Is God a giver or is he a taker? 
The test isn't, does Abraham love Isaac too much? Has he made an idol of his son? That's not, that's not what the text is saying. That's not true. You can't love your child too much. You could maybe love your child's success too much. That could become an idol, but you can't love your child too much. The test is not, has Abraham grown too comfortable in God's promises? No, he rests in God's promises. That's clear throughout this story. I think the crucial question is this, is God a giver or a taker? Does he take back his promises? After all, God alone holds the future. The future belongs to him. And so the question is, what kind of God is he? And that's a question that we face in our own moments of testing. It's a question we face when the college acceptance letter comes and it's a little flimsy, it's a little thin, like there's not a brochure inside. And we read the first few lines and it says, sorry, we cannot accept you for the upcoming school year. It's a question that you can only answer when the job offer doesn't pan out, when the relationship doesn't pan out, when the person that you love is sick. We all know that God gives and takes away, but the question before Abraham and the question before us oftentimes and in times like these is, is God a giver or a taker? Can we trust him? Now, this is a test for Abraham in the story, but it's also a test for his son, Isaac. And commentators will tell you that Isaac is no small boy. I mean, he's a, he's a young man. He might even be what we call a grown man. But in either case, he's not this naive child who doesn't understand what's going on until the very last moment. Isaac is involved in this too. Isaac's faith is being tested. The same question, is God a giver or a taker? Will God provide? And the emotional weight of the story reaches kind of its first climax in this conversation between father and son. And it's framed by these, these two repeating phrases, so they went, both of them together. Isaac asks his father, or says to his father, my father, Abraham responds, he's present to his son in a moment of anguish. Here I am, my son. Isaac says, I see the wood, I see the fire. He doesn't mention the knife. But where is the lamb? Abraham responds, in what must have truly been an anguished moment, not a cavalier, oh, surely God provides, but a teeth clenching, barely can get the words out, God will provide for himself the lamb. And then these words again, so they went, both of them together. The story is full of symbolism. Abraham is clearly a sign or a symbol or a picture of the father who gives his only son. Isaac is a symbol of the beloved son, Jesus, carrying his cross. Moriah, the region that they're in, is actually the region that Jerusalem is in. Moriah, the place where God provides, will become the place where God provides through the sacrificial system in the temple. Which, reached, which reaches its culmination on Calvary with Christ's once and for all sacrifice. And here in this conversation, I think we have a picture of Gethsemane. 
a conversation between father and son. Jesus pleads in the garden, is there any other way? And we don't hear the father's response. We don't read that. But perhaps his words were similar to Abraham's. The Lord will provide my son. And certainly the result is the same. So they went, father and son, Jesus and his father, so they went, both of them, together. Yes, Jesus is sacrificed before the father, but he does so willingly, and the father loves the son because of his willingness to partner with the father's will. So they went, both of them, together. Is God a giver or a taker? And here's the answer. The Lord provides a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. This is another symbol of Jesus. And Deuteronomy says, Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. Here's a ram caught with its horns in a tree. Jesus is the man who hangs on a tree of death, bearing the curse in his body that the cross might become for us the tree of life. When you ask this question, is God a giver or a taker? Because of the hardships in your life, because of the disappointments in your life, don't skip over the cross. Don't get comfortable with the cross because that's the final answer. That's the guarantee to this question. That's the guarantee of your future. Look to the cross. Can you trust him? Look to the cross. Will you be with me? Look to the cross. Here's what Paul says, reflecting on these two events. He who did not spare his own son. He who does the thing that he didn't ask, ultimately, that he does the thing that he didn't ask Abraham to do. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Listen to this. Will he not with him graciously give us all things? Will the Father not graciously give us all things? The Lord is a giver, not a taker. In your life, it will not always feel like that. In the hospital room, it often does not feel like that. And truly, the Lord gives and takes away, but he takes only to give more abundantly. That's a truth that we need to receive in our hearts. The Lord takes only to give more abundantly. And so what this means is that all of us have an Isaac calling in our lives to bear the wood of the cross upon our backs. Whatever that might be, trusting that God will provide, that God is a giver of good gifts. And some of us also have an Abraham calling. Parents, moms and dads, spiritual parents, spiritual mothers and fathers, anyone who loves a person who is younger in the faith has an Abraham calling. We have a calling in our lives to allow the Isaacs in our lives to bear the wood of the cross. 
And that's a difficult calling. Because like Abraham, we see what's coming. We know what's coming at the place appointed for us. Before the Isaacs in our lives can see that, we know the tests and the trials that are ahead of them. I think about this all the time in my ministry to to you, the students at Resurrection. I know the tests and the trials, at least some of them, that are coming before you. I wonder, how could I ever prepare you for those? I wonder if you'll come back to me and say, why didn't you tell us about this? And the fact is, I can't prepare you for everything that you're going to face. I can't do it. And so I wonder, is it foolish of me to ask you to bear the wood of the cross? Will you resent me for that? Is it fair to you? I think this is true for all of us, for anyone who is a parent to another biologically or spiritually. And we live in a time where, you know, the phrase used to be helicopter parenting. There's a new phrase now. Does anybody know it? Snowplow parenting. It's snowplow parenting. Snowplow parenting removes every obstacle that could harm or cause suffering in the life of of somebody that we love. It removes all of those so that they can skate right through unscathed. The spiritual effects of that are not good. But it's a temptation we have. How can we bear to see someone we love bear the wood of the cross upon their backs? How often we wish we could make the gospel more palatable in this generation because we know the suffering that's ahead of those we love. But have we forgotten in those moments the meaning of baptism? You know the awe in the room that that happens when there's uh, an immersion of a baby? Everybody, you know, it's kind of like, whoa, 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 what are you about to do there? This doesn't look like the other ones, the little sprinkling ones. And kind of this like, you know, it goes up and everybody is this little child is dunked all the way under the water. Like, is this safe? Who does this? You're going to drown that child. And we're like, no, it's okay. We blow in their face first. (laughs) Totally makes sense. You hear people whispering, you know, grandmothers, like, how can they do this? How can they do this to a little baby? Well, I think we ought to say that for every baptism, whether an immersion or sprinkling, because every baptism is a death before it's a resurrection. Every baptism is a funeral before it's a birthday. It's a death to the old man with its desires and a birth to life in the spirit with the desires, the new desires that the Lord gives us. For the infant who is baptized, from the time they're born, we are signing them up to bear the wood of the cross. And why would we do that? Because we dare not deprive them of sharing in Christ's sufferings, that they would then share in Christ's glory, that they would then share in Christ's joy. Because we know that only by carrying the wood of the cross will the Isaacs in our lives discover the God who provides. Only by carrying the wood of the cross do any of us discover the God who provides. And it's there when our faith is tested that we learn again and again 
that God is a giver through and through. And like Abraham, like Isaac, like Job, like Ruth and Naomi, like the prophets who saw their people go into exile, like Jesus himself, only by carrying the wood of the cross do we discover a God who gives and takes and gives and takes and then gives once and for all, never to be taken away. So may we have such faith in the midst of our own uncertain futures to trust that God will provide because God has provided and that praise be to Jesus, we will share in his joy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.